Tonight is going to be some weird, crazy experiment. And that's all there is to it. Let's try and make sure we have a good one, right? That we have a good experiment. Twitch can hear me, hopefully. Yeah. And just a little bit of a delay. Okay. All right. So instead of holding back uh, and being cautious, I'm just going to just do what I want and just kind of throw it all out there. So uh, here we go. <clears throat> I said, white kids don't dance. They just follow commands. Put your right foot in, leave your heart in your hand, and spin like the record I was making for you. You promised us forever, now I'm spinning alone, it's true. Oops. But Bigfoot is out there, just knowing you don't care about his life in solitude. He's dancing with the lonely, he chews you only, he'd rock from side to side and your life will change straight out of the blue the clouds in your mind just passing through imagine the horses when you set them free go tear down the beaches of chico tiga but but bigfoot is out there just knowing you don't care about his life in solitude. He's dancing with the lonely, he chews you only. He'd rock from side to side and your life would change straight out of the blue. Of clouds in your mind just passing through. Imagine the horses when you set them free. Go tear down the beaches of Chico Tica. And what? Mm, all right, I lost it a little bit there before the bridge at the end. Ah, sorry. It's hard for me to sing without music. Hello, it's a live show. Um, when I was a kid, Conan O'Brien and his late show, which was on NBC, would sometimes get interrupted. If there were uh, presidential debates, or if there were just just something scheduled on NBC, on NBC late at night that, that was not normally there, so it was pretty rare, he would get bumped. And at the time, the late show would start at uh, 11.30, but he would get bumped, so it would start at 12.30 on the East Coast. It would start at 12.30 on the East Coast, but because of weird transmission things or whatever it would actually come on an hour earlier in the American Southwest, in the Mountain Time Zone. And so he would always be bellyaching. Like, he would be complaining that nobody's watching, and he would call them nobody's watching shows, and he would do the craziest, weirdest shit. And it was extra hilarious to me, of course, because it was an hour early. So he would be doing his weirdest, most profane... Like, he had this one girl come out, and the whole bit was literally just that, like, they had a faux camel toe stuffed down her pants. 
And she would come out and dance, and they would just sing a song that was just the words Camel Toe Annie, and they would just do it over and over again for minutes at a time. No exaggeration. The whole band just sitting there playing, saying those two words. And Cote O'Brien going, and we could do that because nobody's fucking watching. He didn't say fucking. And that's exactly how I feel right now. This is a live show. If you're li- like the same amount of people pretty much listen to it all the time and all that, but nobody fucking came. Nobody showed up to this. Like people keep begging for, for live shows and then nobody fucking showed up. I literally could just come onto the server at any time and jump into a chat room and I would get about as many people here. So nobody's here. So I hope that this is for you fun like it is for me when I was watching Cohen O'Brien when he would have his little tantrums and I'm going to have mine because nobody came. So there we go. That's my tantrum. And then here we go. And then we can begin the show. I arise from the dreams of thee in the first sweet sleep of night, when the winds are breathing low and the stars are shining bright. I arise from dreams of thee, and a spirit in my feet hath led me, who knows how, to thy chamber window, sweet. The wandering airs they faint on the dark, the silent stream. And the champak odors fail like sweet thoughts in a dream. And the nightingale's complaint, it dies upon the heart. As I must on thine, O oh, beloved, as thou art. O oh, lift me from the grass. I die, I faint, I fail. Let thy love in kisses rain on my lips. And eyelids pale. My cheek is cold and white, alas. My heart beats loud and fast. Oh, press it to thine own again, Where it will break at last. The Indian Serenade by Shelley One more quick little poem here. You, my darling, are the book I long to read. I lay you down in front of me, spread open your pages, and fondle what's beneath them. Slowly I lick the words from your mind, gliding my tongue over your verses and savoring every drop of your thoughts. Honor Tascaran Moore. Okay. Let's do some quick quotes. Do we have any quick quotes from Twitch at all? Anybody at all? It's a slow show. So if you request it, there's a pretty good shot. Just quick quotes in from either channel room right now. Oh, nobody has anything for daddy. Nobody has anything for me to say for them. Oh, listen to how good my voice sounds. Listen to how much I can bring it. Nobody has anything for me to bring it to. Nobody. Oh, I don't 
know. Behave for me. Be a good girl. Stay silent. Stay silent. Come here, darling. Let me hold you close and nuzzle you in. I want to make sing, little bird. On your knees, little one. Your words stirred something deep inside me, like a vodka martini sipped with thirsty lips, my body intoxicated by the very suggestion of you. You did so well, kitten. Daddy is proud of you. Keep them coming, kids. Listen to them knocking them down. <clears throat> Crawl up in Daddy's lap, kitten. I am so proud of you, baby girl. Daddy has a special reward for you. Keep them coming. Set them up, knock them down. Oh, no. So much dead air. <clears throat> nope. Come here. We're not leaving this bed today. All right, guys. Send them in. Send in your last ones. Daddy will fill you up and make you scream. Does it make you shiver when Daddy snarls, little one? Did I stutter? Kisses dream of lips like yours. You thought I was done with you? Come here, darling. Let Daddy kiss your forehead. You've been very good tonight, little one. Time for your reward. No more? You really sure about that? Final answer. I love the sounds you make. You're so cute when you blush. Let Daddy kiss it better.
Last ones, last ones, get them in. We have to keep this non-show going. You taste so good, little dragon. I love waking up next to you. Guys, last ones, if you've put one in before, that means last. Oh, baby girl, you made me so hard. And thank you for that. <clears throat> Touch the wooden gate in the wall you never saw before. Say please before you open the latch. Go through. Walk down the path. A red metal imp hangs from the green painted front door as a knocker. Do not touch it. It will bite your fingers. Walk through the house. Take nothing. Eat nothing. However, if any creature tells you that it hungers, feed it. If it tells you that it is dirty, clean it. If it cries to you that it is hurt, if you can, ease its pain. From the back garden, you will be able to see the wild wood. The deep well you walk past leads to winter's realm. There is another land at the bottom of it. If you turn around here, you can walk back safely. You will lose no face I will think no less of you. Once through the garden, you will be in the wood. The trees are old, eyes peer from the undergrowth. Beneath a twisted oak sits an old woman. She may ask for something. Do give it to her. She will point the way to the castle. Inside it are three princesses. Do not trust the youngest. Walk on. In the clearing beyond the castle, the twelve months sit about a fire, warming their feet, exchanging tales. They may do favors for you, if you are polite. You may pick strawberries in December's frost. Trust the wolves, but do not tell them where you are going. The river can be crossed by the ferry. The ferryman will take you. The answer to his question is this. If he hands the oar to his passenger, he will be free to leave the boat. Only tell him this from a safe distance. If an eagle gives you a feather, keep it safe. Remember, the giants sleep too soundly, that witches are often betrayed by their appetites. Dragons have one soft spot somewhere, always. Hearts can be well hidden, and you betray them with your tongue. Do not be jealous of your sister. Know that diamonds and roses are as uncomfortable when they tumble from one's lips as toads 
and frogs, colder, too, and sharper, and they cut. Remember your name. Do not lose hope. What you seek will be found. Trust ghosts. Trust those that you have helped to help you in their turn. Trust dreams. Trust your heart and trust your story. When you come back, return the way you came. Favors will be returned. Debts will be repaid. Do not forget your manners. Do not look back. Ride the wise eagle, you shall not fall. Ride the silver fish, you will not drown. Ride the gray wolf, hold tightly to his fur. There is a worm at the heart of the tower. That's it, why it will not stand. When you reach the little house, place, the place your journey started, you will recognize it, although it will seem much smaller than you remember. Walk up the path and through the garden gate. You never saw before but once, and then go home, or make a home, and rest. Instructions by Neil Gaiman. <clears throat> you can tell by how he listens to let her kiss him that the getting as he get it is good. It's good in the sweetly salty, deeply thirsty way that a sea-fogged rain is good after a summer-long bout of inland drought. And you know it when you see it, don't you? How it drenches what's dry, how the having of it quenches. There is grassy inlet when your ocean meets your land, a slip that needs a certain kind of vessel. And when that shapely skiff skims in its last trimmed bright, Mass lightly flagging left and right, then the long lush reeds of your longing part, and soft against the whole of that bent wood almost imperceptibly brushes a luscious hush. The heart needs helplessly the hush of the very good. That is The Hush of the Very Good by Todd Boss. I would like to watch you sleeping, which may not happen. I would like to watch you sleeping. I would like to sleep with you, to enter your sleep as its smooth, dark wave slides over my head, to walk with you through that lucent, wavering forest of blue-green leaves with its watery sun and three moons towards the cave where you must descend towards your worst fear. I would like to give you the silver branch, the small white flower, the one word that will protect you from the grief at the center of your dream. I would like to follow you up 
the long stairway again and become the boat that would row you back and forth carefully, aflame in two cupped hands to where your body lies beside me and you enter it as easily as breathing in. I would like to be the air that inhibits you for a moment only. I would like to be that unnoticed and that necessary. Variation on the word sleep. Margaret Atwood. We have a lot of great poetry tonight. This is a lot of fun. These are all really good poems, and it's nice to be able to have the, the mental acuity and, and acumen to be able to do it. Uh, so far, I haven't stumbled too much. <clears throat> Here we go. All thoughts, all passions, all delights, whatever stirs this mortal frame, all are but ministers of love and feed his sacred flame. Oft in my waking dreams do I live over again that happy hour, when midway on the mount I lay besides the ruined tower. The moonshine stealing over the scene had blended with the lights of Eve, and she was there, my hope, my joy, my own dear Genevieve. She leant against the armed man, the statue of the armed knight. She stood and listened to my lay amid the lingering light. Few sorrows hath she of her own, my hope, my joy, my Genevieve. She loves my best. She loves my best whenever I sing the songs that make her grieve. I played a soft and doleful air. I sang an old and moving story, an old rude song that suited well the ruin wild and hoary. She listened with a flitting blush, with downcast eyes and modest grace, for well she knew I could not choose but gaze upon her face. I told her of the knight that wore upon his shield a burning brand, and that for ten long years he wooed the lady of land. I told her how he pined, and ah, the deep, the low, and pleading tone with which I sang another's love, interpreted my own. She listened with a flitting blush, with downcast eyes and modest grace, and she forgave me that I gazed too fondly on her face. But when I told the cruel scorn that crazed the bold and lovely knight, that he crossed the mountain woods, nor rested day nor night, that sometimes for the savage den, and sometimes from the darksome shade, and sometimes starting up at once in green and sunny glade, there came and looked him in the face an angel, beautiful and bright, and that he knew it was a fiend, this miserable knight. And that, unknowing what he did, he leapt amid a murderous band and saved from outrage worse than death, the lady of the land. And how she wept 
and clasped his knees, and how she tended him in vain, and ever strove to expatiate, and scorn that crazed his brain. And that she nursed him in a cave, and how his madness went away, when on the yellow forest leaves a dying man he lay. His dying words, but when I reached that tenderest strain of all that ditty, my faltering voice and pausing harp disturbed her soul with pity. All impulse of soul and sense had thrilled my guideless Genevieve, the music and the doleful tale, the rich and balmy Eve. And hopes and fears and kindle hope and indistinguishable throng, and gentle wishes long subdued, subdued and cherished long. She wept with pity and delight, she blushed with love and virgin shame, and like the murmur of a dream, I held her breath my name. Her blossom heaved, she stepped aside, as conscious of my look she stepped, then suddenly, with timorous eye, she fled to me and wept. She half enclosed me with her arms, she pressed me with a meek embrace, and bended back her head, looked up, and gazed upon my face. Twas partly love, twas partly fear, and partly twas a bashful art, that I might rather feel than see the swelling of her heart. I calmed her fears, and she was calm, and told her love with virgin pride, and so I won my Genevieve, my bright and beauteous bride. I thought that that was heading for a little bit more of a snarky ending. I thought he was tricking the virgin. That was Love by Samuel Taylor Coolridge. <clears throat> Mother of memories, mistress of mistresses, O thou my pleasure, thou all my desire, thou shalt recall the beauty of caresses, the charm of evenings by the gentle fire, mother of memories, mistress of mistresses. The eaves illuminated by burning coal, the balcony where veiled rose vapor clings, the soft of your breast was then, how sweet your soul. Ah, and we said imperishable things, those eaves illuminated by the burning coal. Lovely the suns were in those twilights warm, and space profound, and strong life's pulsing flood, in bending over you, queen of every charm. I thought I breathed the perfume in your blood, the suns were beauteous in those twilights warm. The film of night flowed round and over us, and my eyes in the dark did your eyes meet. I drank your breath, ah, sweet, and poisonous, and in my hands fraternal slept your feet. Night, like a film, flowed round and over us. I can recall those happy days forgot and see 
with head bowed on your knees, my past. Your languid beauties now would move me not, did not your gentle heart and body cast the old spell of those happy days forgot. Can vows and perfumes, kisses infinite, be reborn from the gulf we cannot sound? As rise to the heavens suns once again made bright after being plunged in deep seas and profound. Ah, vows and perfumes, kisses infinite. Balcony by Charles Baudelaire. And that is it for poetry. That was all the poetry for all the girls. Goodness, goodness, goodness. A lot of poetry knocked out pretty quick, I would say. In pretty okay form. Is everybody ready? For just a little bit of the sexy sex. All right, I'm a little confused about what this is. <clears throat> so let's just get started with it after a quick sip of water. Sexual innuendo is a hard topic to stay on top of. As a humor tool, it stands erect in the English language. While there are no hard and fast rules as to what constitutes sexual innuendo, many people have masturbated over the ins and outs of the topic. And now, the general principles at the root of the topic are firm and well-rounded. However, full penetration of the subject requires that the reader take a long, hard look at the target and be a cunning linguist in order to avoid limp phrases and imbibe the phrase with a large handful of meanings. The topic can become hot by attempting to grasp it, and the more one experiments with it, the more interested they become. Also, as language changes, innuendos may change in order to fill the newly created holes and satisfy listeners. A common problem with sexual innuendo is the, is the recipient being unable to wrap their hands around the intended meaning. In this case, an individual using sexual innuendo will often start slow and eventually build up, increasing depth more and more until the recipient feels the actual thrust of the point and the innuendo climaxes. An innuendo is always the most pleasing when no one sees it coming, often by entering the mind through the rear. Some skilled people are even able to use several sexual innuendos quickly in succession, resulting in multiple innuendo-esque climaxes. Key phrases can grasp the sentence by the ankles and part its long clauses, allowing the orator to penetrate the essence of the sentence. In this regard, the key is to avoid stiff, rigid words. For one that gives the meaning of the sentence a firm rise in innuendic possibilities, some regard sexual innuendo as an art form, as it goes without saying that one needs a certain level of oral skills in order for the fluidic exchange of innuendo to succeed. However, 
this is not enough to fill the requirements. One needs to pay special attention to the regions of the sentence to which the innuendo will enter. For lasting effects, it is most important to enter deep within the recipient's consciousness and to ensure that all the seeds of humor have flowed forth. This is not an easy task for most people, so it is only going through rigorous repetition that the insertion of sexual innuendo that one can fully master the uplifting effects that it can have on vocabulary. On another note, one must remember that when practicing innuendo to someone who hasn't heard it for the first time, one must be ready to slowly enter the tight quarters of your reader's mind, lest risk getting their ideas unpleasantly stuck within the annals of the reader's mind. Although sexual innuendo requires masterful manipulation on the parts of speech and sometimes the skillful use of body language, for most people, it comes quickly. There is currently much debate over whether an extended innuendo can substitute for learning technique. Okay. Well, there we go. The innuendo. That was by Jewel1307. <laughs> and that'll be a nice little warm-up, I think. On to the smut. Give us the smut. Give us the smut. Right? Okay. <clears throat> he had made a promise that the first night we spent together, he would fuck me hard. He vowed that I would have as many orgasms as I could cope with, and then he would give me more. The night of passionate sex that he had promised me had arrived. He was reading a book in bed waiting for me, and I couldn't wait. While he waited patiently for me in bed, I finished bathing and getting ready. I felt smooth, buffed, and prepared to be licked sucked, and kissed all over. If his heart-shaped kisses were anything to go by, his skills in bed, and I knew they were, they were going to be first class. One last look at my reflection in the mirror, and I felt ready for our night of passion. We had flirted at the gym when we first met weeks ago. We had played footsie under the diner table at the restaurant last week. The first orgasm he'd given me up against the wall that night before last in my back garden was intense. He asked to kiss me goodnight, and when I said yes, he dropped to his knees and pulled down my knickers. I'd, been, I'd left the bathroom and had finished parading around in my towel to entice him and tease him with my curves and dropped the towel. He feigned indifference and carried on reading. He shifted in the bed, and that was his giveaway. He was affected. Snuggling down into the bed under the plump duvet, the fresh, crisp white sheets were welcoming after the scorching, hot shower. Positioning the length of my body against his, I slowly and rhythmically stroked my leg along his. Virtually hairless, 
I enjoyed his smooth, warm skin sliding against mine. He continued to concentrate on his book, and I wanted to know what was so fascinating. Tracing my finger on the page, the book disappeared, and his mouth was on mine. I would never know what that book was about. His tongue in my mouth had erased all thoughts of reading. He was probing, searching, and dueling with mine. The relentless pressure of his mouth on mine was intoxicated. I wanted more than anything at that moment for his cock to plunge into my pussy. I curbed my impatience as I wanted this to play out many times before I collapsed, exhausted from our fucking. Naked lovers kiss in bed. The air in the room stilled in a hot flash of heat covered my body. His passionate kisses increased. Sadly, he had taken off his sexy glasses and thrown them out of reach. He held me tight to his body, wrapped his arms around my back. He still had his boxers on, but I could feel his cock against my stomach. I needed to get closer. Pushing him over to his back, I sat astride his hips and leaned down and took, his, uh, took over kissing the life out of him. I couldn't resist fondling his cock. I wanted to feel his hardness. Stroking him through the material, a kissing, his plump lips turned me on more. I had control, even if it was only for a few minutes. I enjoyed the setting. The, I enjoyed setting the pace of the luxurious open mouth kissing. My tongue licking in and out of his mouth, measly missing where I wanted to go and catching his lips in my teeth. If I kept up this frantic pace, I would come before I stripped him from his underwear. Grinding my pussy into his boxers, I teased his cock harder. This only resulted in my desire rising and more desperate to have him inside me. Images of him thrusting hard as he slammed into me flashed through my mind. I couldn't wait any longer and scooted down the bed and pulled off his one remaining piece of clothing and enjoyed the view of his massive, hard cock. His tip glistened in the low light of the room, and I licked my lips in anticipation of tasting him. I heard his groan quietly when his soft hands met his cock, and it was thrilling to have him at my mercy, stroking him firmly, watching the beads of liquid form at his slit. I bent down and took the tip of his penis in my mouth, licking and sucking just the tip of him at first opened-mouthed kisses, sucking gently any liquid that had escaped. I took him by surprise, and I took his whole length into my mouth in one go and was rewarded with his expletive statement whispered from his lips. Grinning as he popped out of my mouth, I licked my way down his hardness, his hairless ball sack, and took them in my mouth, and sucked on those, too. 
Grabbing hold of his thighs, my nose nudged under the base of his cock until I pulled away and let his balls drop. I could have licked and sucked him until he came, but he had other ideas. Hauling me up to his taut, muscled body, by my arms he positioned me so that I could sink my pussy down and sheath his cock. Placing him at my entrance, I held my breath as I dropped down on him, feeling full as my arse hit his thighs, wasting no time at all. I needed to feel the friction of him inside me and supported myself, placing my hands on his chest and slide my pussy up and down his length. My wet channel made the thrusting of his cock feel amazing. I needed another of his passionate kisses, and we were just getting started. Leaning forward, I sucked on his lower lip until I caught the nape of my neck with his hand and pulled me in for a deeper kiss. Bouncing up and down on his cock, I'm desperate to come, climbing higher and higher. I hold onto the headboard for support. With his tongue in my mouth and his cock in my pussy, I came hard while I still allow him to thrust up into me. I strangle his cock with my first orgasm. It is a powerful throb that I feel in my heart and belly. He is not stopping for a second, grabbing my breasts and sucking on my nipples as I come down from my high. He lifts me by my waist and tells me to turn around. He says he wants to see my arse cheeks as they land on his flat stomach when I take him inside again. I am delighted that he has the stamina for another round. He's still hard and hasn't come. I had high hopes that my young lover can go all night. Sitting astride his hips once more, I guide him to my entrance and sit on his cock and feel the fullness of him once more. His roaming hands find their way to my clit and start to rub. My fingers join in and teach him to rub at a rhythm I enjoy. He is a fast learner, and I leave him to it and rest my back support, my body, to gain height and slam down on his cock repeatedly. He is so big and hard, I need to orgasm again. My moans are getting louder, and as I open my mouth with the pleasure he is giving me, it is becoming too much and I lay back on his chest. He grabs my breasts and squeeze hard, capture my nipples, and pinching hard. It raises my, uncom my oncoming orgasm higher. He kisses and bites my shoulder, and I like it. I swivel my hips and tease him, but he wants the control back and snakes his hand around my throat and keeps me in one place while he thrusts up. As each thrust up, he gently tightens and releases his hold on my throat to be someone else to be at someone else's mercy and control is exhilarating, and I am led by his command, holding me tight, he turns me over so that we are on our side. He's still thrusting inside me, not missing a beat and pushing me from behind. 
His hip action is hard and purposeful. He knows exactly how to push me higher and over the top to my second orgasm. It's slower. It's a slower throb and cascades down his cock. I squeeze my balls and I'm rewarded with a hard thrust as he stays balls deep in my pussy. We're both soaked with sweat with our exertions, and he still hasn't come. Interlocking our fingers, he increases the movement and fucks me harder. My pussy is tight around him, and I am feeling every inch as he hits the top of my channel. I need to kiss him again and stretch my neck back. He helps by pulling on my chin and licks into my mouth, not bothering with kissing my lips, just dueling tongues. He kneels and pulls my leg up and rests my ankle on his shoulder and uses all his strength to fuck me harder still. Fucking hell. It's deep this way. The momentum of the repeated hard slaps echo in the room. His efforts push me further on the bed and I use the headboard as a buffer. I am grateful it's padded. Naked, oh, he's going to make me come a third time, and I can't wait to experience it. I've never come three times in one night. He grabs hold of my hips and concentrates on building me up again. The yells coming from him is telling me that he is near his orgasm too, but he is waiting for me. It doesn't take long for this stud of a man to make me come again. He pulls out as soon as the waves start to pump his cock and comes over my stomach, shooting come in an arc. Its splatters of liquid is audible over the heavy breathing, the pained concentration slowly disappearing from his beautiful face when he collapses next to me, pulling me in for a cuddle, my back to his torso, he fulfills his promise. He fucks me like a champion, and he's in my bed. Let's see what his recovery time will be. And that's Hot Bed by Olivia Purley. And I hope you're enjoying the show. We have two more smut pieces. Before we conclude this evening, I hope that you've enjoyed me just rock em, socking them on out. <clears throat> she said a lot of things to me this morning. She told me I needed to be tougher. She said that I give in too easily, that I was too nice, too polite, even. She even told me I can never think of the right words quickly enough, and she made it totally clear that unless I am a bit harder and faster, there was no way I would get the research grant, unless I was, well, to put it bluntly, not me. She also said that my ideas are excellent, that I'm a good grafter, that no one is as thorough as, as thorough as me. No one is such a strong team member. 
and no one deserves the research grant more than me. And finally, that no one believes in me as she does. He is exhausted. He overdid it last night. He was reading through his sources until the early hours. He would not stop, no matter how much I urged him to turn it in and get some sleep. And he was up early to get to the university with plenty of time in hand. He must be shattered. It was a tough morning. When we got back, he went to take a shower, but he didn't even finish getting undressed. Here he is at three in the afternoon, fast asleep. But to his credit, he really went for it. I have never seen him speak as clearly and confidently. I've never seen him so strong, so assertive, and so much in control. I have never seen him so happy when they called him back at the end and said the grant was his. He's been with me for a year or so. It was our anniversary last month. We went out for a meal. It was lovely. We came back afterwards, and we made love in such a tender, gentle way, just as we always do. It was beautiful, and it was caring, and he asked what I wanted each step of the way, always checking that he was doing what worked for me. And he kept asking where I wanted to be touched, and it was so him, so us. But it wasn't exactly hot. It wasn't edgy. He is always too keen to oblige, and I just do what I want. It's always me who kicks things off, and it would be good if once, just once, he took the lead. She had dressed for the occasion. I noticed that before we had left the flat. She put on stockings and that ivory lace slip which she knows is one of my favorites, if I'm honest. It is just a bit tight for her amazing breasts, but I have never dared to tell her. But I like it when she is pulled tight across her butt, and you can just make out her nipples underneath. And she looks so good in it, and the moment with her tan. She likes to lie out in the sun. I remember that holiday last year, that was where we met. When I talked to her on the beach, she was topless. I just had to strike up a conversation with her. That took a heck of a lot of guts for someone like me. I think my prick showed its appreciation just a bit too much through my trunks when we were chatting. She's got an even more extensive tan now. Our balcony is not really overlooked. She has tucked her arm through mine as we walked through the university. She usually doesn't do that. We normally hold hands. She doesn't talk much either. She is normally such a chatterbox. Perhaps she was giving me a bit of headroom. She knew how nervous I was. I have to be a total... If I have to be totally honest, and this is really an objective assessment, she did look bloody hot and I felt so good when we walked into that lecture theater, her heels announcing confidently 
her presence. I noticed a couple of the panel follow her with their eyes as she took a seat near the front. He's going to be aroused by getting aroused. I'm going to wake him up in the most deliciously erotic way I can devise. He deserves a treat, so I climb on the bed gently, hoping he'll stay asleep. Straddling him, I begin to rub my bare pussy up and down his underwear in the hope of enticing his manhood into an erection. I love it when he is hard. He has the most fantastic penis, far longer and thicker than you would have thought for such a gentle, humble guy. It's far bigger than any of my previous lovers. To be honest, when I saw it for the first time after we came back from the beach in France, I thought, I can't take that. It's too big. He might be big, but he's also very gentle. He always checks with me every move we make when we have sex. I think he is aware of how big he is. If we change position, there's always an, is this okay? He's sweet like that, and he never brags at all about the size of his dick. When I did at a party once, we got, he went bright red and got really cross with me. Her warm makes me. I had drifted off, but here she was on top of me, rubbing her pussy against my crotch. I didn't think she is wearing any knickers. I'm sure I can feel her lips through my underwear. I really just want to make love to her. I want to fucking celebrate. I did it. I did what she said. I was bold, assertive. In control. I got the bloody grant, and now I want her in a way like never before. I want to fuck her and just touch her harder and just a touch faster. She needs to be on her back. That's how we are going to start. I move her there and catch her eye. I sense that she is saying with her look, over to you, I'm yours. God, I hope she means this. I reach for her pussy and start to stroke it and feel her start to handle my prick. My cock begins to push back against the cotton of my underwear. I feel her slit begin to moisten. But it's better if it's really wet. So I take my fingers from her gash and I put them to her mouth. I've never felt confident enough to do this before. And fuck, she licks them tasting herself, and leaves enough saliva on them to further lubricate her lips. He's in control. He is fucking telling me what to do. He just made me taste my pussy juices, and now I just want to surrender every bit of my body to him. My arse, my tits, my legs, my face, my cunt. Everything that is mine, is his. He slips his trunks down and frees his gloriously hard member. But no sooner does he do this than he slips a finger inside me and reaches up and back for my G-spot. 
I didn't even know he was aware that I had one. On his touch of my back stiffens. And I squeeze his finger in grateful thanks with his pelvic floor. Right, so if he's going to push boundaries and show me something new, so am I. I pull off the slip and move my head to his now resplendent erection and take his ample glands in my mouth. He loves blowjobs. No, more than that, he totally adores them. Now I'm going to take him far, far deeper than he has ever been before. I have never dared to do this with him before, but I reckon if I get my breathing right and I get the angle right, I just might be able to take it, all of it. I squeeze his balls with my finger and slide my mouth down his shaft. I stop where I always stop, a few inches down, and then I go for it and push on until my lips touch his testicles. She's not just giving me a blowjob. She's bloody well deep-throating me, and she's never put her lips so far down my cock. This is heaven. And now she is bobbing up and down, coating my cock with saliva. It's glistening and slipperiness. I've got to give her a sign that this is fucking magnificent. So I start to finger her cunt again. I know she loves it when I masturbate her. She comes back at me with a delicious move. She combines a twist from her wrist and pumps me while she rubs my helmet against her. Was this written by a nine-year-old? Rubs her against my helmet against her tongue. And now she starts to play with my balls, too, and sucks at them. I want to join in, so I hold them together, and she takes them both in her mouth. He is my master, and he is laying down the rules. I guess that is his, what I really wanted. But I haven't been aware before. He smacks me on my arse a couple of times, then pings my suspenders. I smile in appreciation, encouraging him to go further. He takes my cue and turns me firmly. He rubs my clit fast and flat, Un flat underside of his fingers while also running them up and down his frenum. This is so fucking brilliant. He is making contact with both of our most sensitive spots simultaneously. I can sense that he is hardening and that he stops rubbing with his hand and pushes his cock deep inside me. To keep him going, I slide a hand under him to rub his balls. She puts a leg over my shoulder, which lets me go deeper than ever before. I think I've got this dominant role right. She likes it. Well, I might as well play the role fully, and I grab her hair. I hear a muffled, oh yes, and slip from her mouth, with which she encourages me to hold her throat too. She has fully surrendered to me. To me. God, I love her. I have just got to kiss her. She is amazing. She's always been amazing, but especially right now. Right now with me this afternoon. 
and gone do I need to come. I flip her over onto her stomach, and she presses and she presents her fantastic artist to me. I see that tattoo and lick her from behind. Okay, so this is it. I am going to go for it. I am going to push myself over the edge. He holds my hair in a ponytail in his final moment of dominance. I love him, and I have let him have me. He pumps me, and I feel his cock throb. He is seconds away from coming, and he withdraws and winks himself to orgasm over me. I do like seeing his spunk against my skin, white against tan. But he is not quite spent, and with the last few moments of hardness, he re-enters me. He still feels firm inside me, and I milk the last few drops out of his weakening cock. He is totally spent, and I reckon he will drift back to sleep in seconds. With all this appear like a dream to him when he wakes again? I don't really care. It has been brilliant. He has focused so much on himself and has pleased me to please him. But I haven't come myself. I've had lots of little ones throughout, but not that big one that blows your legs away. It's going to be my turn when he wakes up again. Well, there's no author on that one, so I can just feel free to say, There's no author on that one, so I can feel free to say, That was the most awful fucking porn I have read in so long. That is... I can't begin to tell you how much that offends, like, the porn writer in me. The switching back and forth in perspectives, and they're just talking about the same thing over and over again. The fact that she just kept going, this is so perfect. Oh my god, it's so perfect. And you know what? I'm going to try this for the first time. And oh my god, it's so perfect. Uh, uh. I, I, uh, and the other thing is, if that wasn't written by a woman, I would just explode. There's no way a guy wrote that. There's no way a guy wrote that and was like, this is me dominating a chick. Jerking off and then kind of like giving her a little bit of her own sloppy seconds, even though it's a twosome. Oh, I dominated the shit out that bitch. I don't think so. I don't think so. We've got one more. Let's see if it's a palate cleanser. <clears throat> I tried to make it through, but you cannot throw helmet at me. Come on. Like, that is one step above purple-headed warrior. Like, that is, that is a seventh grade term for a dickhead is helmet. I don't know what else to say. Ah. Here we go. <clears throat> Lying nude on the open, sleep-ready sofa bed, he had been waiting for her to come out, and now... Coming off the bed, going to the closed door, he listened to the sound of... (sighs) We're going to try that one again. (laughs) The number of commas threw me. All right, shake it off, shake it off. Okay. So here's just a little fact about me. Commas, when I'm reading them, are kind of of like little jabs, right? Because I do a little... (gasps) I do a little pause with every comma. 
So if you throw enough commas in there, you're basically just Mortal Kombat-ing my ass. You're basically just doing this huge fighting game combo. <laughs> Here we go. All right. All those commas were fine, and then we got to the ellipses. I'm like, is this a pause too? And then I had to stop. <clears throat> Lying nude on the open, sleep-ready sofa bed, he's waiting for her to come out, and now, coming out of the bed, going to the closed door, he listened to the sound of running water. <sighs> Opening the door, assailed by a cloud of stream, standing a moment looking at the diffused hair and flesh tones of Marcia's body behind the translucent shower curtain. Marcy. In deep thought, the sound of his voice startling her, Mitchy? Then seeing the skin tone shadow on the other side of the frost-covered curtain, she poked her head out. Well, I'm confused as well as these two people. We're all confused. Hi, baby. Thought you might like some company. Like maybe you'd like your back scrubbed. His unexpected entry into the bathroom coinciding with what she had been thinking, thinking that maybe I can make it happen now. Surprising him by drawing the curtain open. Sure, she said, becoming somewhat aroused herself. Come on in. Okay, is this like translated through something? Is this making sense to you people? I'm having such a hard time following this. Ugh, is it me? <clears throat> Before meeting Mitchell again, because they had met six years earlier... Keeping all boys' hands away from her when she knew they shouldn't be, Marcia Goldman had held herself in tight rein on so many occasions when she had been in passionate situations with young men whom she liked and one whom she thought she loved when she had wanted on so many occasions to let the boy touch her breasts and her crotch and for her to touch the boys, too. Well, I miss all the commas. To feel it, and yes, to see it, too. But she hadn't. And even now, after almost six months of marriage, and the intimacy of marriage, though she kept it well hidden, Marsha Lipinski still felt a sense of excitement when she saw her aroused husband, Newt. All of that to say that they're married for six months and that she didn't fuck around before him. All of that. All of that. Oh, my God. <laughs> what are we doing tonight? When not aroused, leaving less than three inches exposed, Mitchell's penis all but disappeared. How fucking dare you? Three inches when not aroused is fine. F fuck off. I speak for all the men out there. Ah, uh, fuck you, Lipinski. We're not around... Okay, sorry. With in its pubic hair... Oh, I apologize. There's a bad spacing here. One more time. <clears throat> We're not aroused, leaving less than three inches exposed, Mitchell's penis all but disappeared within his pubic hair. When in a state of erection, though, it swelled to about six and a half inches, and Martha constantly enjoyed watching as, magically... The small nub came out of hiding, jerked to life and engorged, 
and she was always, always thrilled to know that sometimes by doing nothing more than merely looking at him, watching it, that she was the reason for this erotic metamorphosis. <laughs> uh, okay, this one's bad but fun. <clears throat> While menstruating, and for the few days preceding her menstrual cycle, intercourse was called off, and although it was that requested it twice in the six months of their marriage, even though she knew would never tell him, Marcia did enjoy sitting bare-chested between his spread legs, knowing he was looking at her breasts as she held his penis in her hand and took care of him. And she always marveled at the projected power of the first bursts of semen. Putting his leg over the rim, stepping into the tub, looking at his wife's wet nude body, becoming even more impassioned. We are like 10 minutes in, and he has just gotten in the shower with his new wife. That's all that's happened. We are 10 fucking minutes into this bitch, and he is just now, we've like, we've learned so much about Lipinski here. Oh my god. <clears throat> From the rear, Marcia could easily pass for a slight boy. Her torso was thin, bordering on skinny, and she had broad shoulders, no hips, a straight waist, and small, very tight buttocks. From the front, though, there was no mistaking Marsha Lipinski for anything but a woman. The size of her breast fell within the smaller end of medium, but because of she had a whiter ribcage, appearing larger than they actually were, her breasts would tend to fill out at the sides, giving Marsha attractive, wide cleavage. About the size of half dollars, the areolas of her nipples were domed. Wow, those are big areolas. About the size of half dollars. Wow. The areola of her nipples were domed in the dark pink of tone. Marcia's stomach was solid and concave. Her legs were long and slender. <laughs> Defined calves. Or back to the back. Her pubic hair was pitch black, silky fine. Mitch's idea of the perfect girl had always been the Coca-Cola ad. Girl next door, face on a big busted, slightly meaty body with solid thick thighs and buttocks with maybe a cute little tummy. Generally, what he liked were sunny-faced girls with a little meat on the bones. When he thought back, oh great, or when he was angry at Marcia, usually because she was angry at him, he wondered how and why he ever fell in love with a slightly Semitic-looking, to say the least, moderate-busted, all-but-skill-giddy girl. And yet, he truly did love Marcia and did think of her as beautiful. You know, I wasn't really on this guy's side until he somehow got over the fact that he could fall in love with a Semitic-looking gal. You know? That's really big of him. Like, he wanted to fuck just a normal white girl from a Coca-Cola billboard ad, 
But instead, he married another girl who looked a little Jewy. So, uh, he's an awesome dude. What is happening with the suggestions tonight? Oh my god! I absolutely could not believe what I was just reading! <sighs> she's a little Semitic. Hey, hey, she's a little Semitic looking, but I love her. So lay off. Uh, as Mitchell enjoyed looking at her, <laughs> her dress, as much as Mitchell enjoyed looking at her dress, he, big surprise, especially loved looking at her naked. And of all, he loved looking, big surprise again, were Marsha's breasts. And because he never imagined, and oh yeah, Mitchell had spent a lot of time imagining, but not, that any breast could ever be quite as lovely Marsha's. What he absolutely loved to look at above all else were the beautiful dusty pink areola of his wife's nipples. That was all one sentence. Mitchell was not a sound sleeper, whereas his wife was, and... <laughs> we're in the shower! Assholes! <laughs> Does nobody remember that we're in the shower? Mitchell was not a sound sleeper, whereas his wife was, and occasionally she would sleep without a pajama top, usually awaking before her. He would lay awake till a streamer of light from the part of the drapes that he would usually part a wee bit wider would lay across the bed. Then, if Marsha were laying in the right direction, he would carefully lower the blanket from over her shoulder, then, with his head propped in the palm of his hand, just look at her, and... In these quiet times, his heart would swell with love and restrained passion, and he would wonder how he was ever able to live without this gift given to him by God. Marsha. Yes, his Marsha. Hot water streaming onto him, onto her. Their bodies tightly encircled by arms, his hands clasped onto the other's buttocks. Marcy, feeling the soft push of soap, slicked breasts onto his chest. God, how I love you. Mitchy, feeling the probe of her husband's penis against her thigh, holding him, sensing the heat within her hand. I love you too. Mouths tightened, tongues twining. Exploring the slopey, slick valley between, his left hand glided over the twin mounds of Marsha's small, hard buttocks, his right hand rubbing over her vulva, probing, parting the petals, his fingers sliding into the warm, so lubricious, so lubricious? I don't know if this is a real word. It's lubricated as the base. Lubricious? Channel. I don't know if I've ever seen that word. Straining into the probe of his finger, slowly moving the one hand fore and back along the way, the warm, hard shaft. The nails of the other hand tightening into the flesh of his buttocks, urging Mitchell even closer. Breaking the kiss, lowering his head, holding a break from beneath, bringing it to his lips, along with the streaming water, he drew Marsh's excitement. How elongated tightly constricted nipple deeply in his mouth. When a girl 
the revered moment for Mitchell. <clears throat> when with a girl, the revered moment for Mitchell always been the first time he'd been allowed to taste her, to put his tongue onto, and to run it over and around the areola of her nipple, to draw the nipple into his mouth, to taste that sweet salt tang of her flesh, and every girl he knew that would allow this had tasted differently. Or maybe, really, the girls all had tasted the same, but being different girls, what he had really tasted was the excitement of their newness. Pulling from her hand, bending at the knee, crouched before her, running his mouth and tongue over Marcia's streaming flesh, to over and around the tiny projection of her outy navel, and down... And because the mat of pubic hair was wet and lay flat, her vulva was fully visible through the thinly wet hair, and the projection of mound was seemingly more pronounced. And he drew the hard, soft mound fully into his mouth and bit softly, and not too softly, onto the hairy flesh. Feeling the delicious pain of the bite, placing one hand on his head, the other hand tightening till her knuckles became white around the steel shower curtain rod as, biting the lower lip, Marcia waited for what she knew, for what she had expected, and what she wanted to come next, as, parting the fleshly folds of his tongue, turning his face to the side of the water, would channel over his lips rather than into his mouth, touching his tongue to the upper cleft of her vagina. Mitchell licked the budding tub of Marcia's clitoris as, arching her pelvis forward, widening her thighs, holding the back of his head, pressing his mouth onto as his tongue into her vagina, savoring the dual erotic sensations of the clitoral caress and the in-and-out motion of his tongue, closing her eyes. Rather than just ejaculating into a prophylactic, Mitchell truly loved doing this to Marshall. He, to taste Marsha. To really taste Marsha. To literally take the sweet fluid of her sex, of her body, into his, and thus, as so he did believe, the two became more a part of one. Besides, rapidly excited, once actual intercourse began, he was prone to quick ejaculation. Also, always quiet during foreplay and intercourse, at times such as this, Marsha would usually show some sort of response. At least, at these times, Mitchell felt he was able to give her, he sincerely hoped, as much pleasure as she always gave him. And, oh yeah, he'd love to have Marsha do the same for him. But, before she told him, Don't expect me to do that to you, Mitchell. Nice Jewish girls don't do rounds of giving their husbands blowjobs. How? he had asked. Do you know? Well, Marcia answered, I'm sure your mother doesn't do that to your father. Yes, he thought, that's true. Because, as most progeny, he could not imagine his mother and father having even simple intercourse, let alone his mother giving his father a blowjob. And, Marcia had continued, 
I'm sure my mother has never done it to my father. Yes, of that Marcia was rather sure. But to other men, that she was not so sure of. Her feet braced against the side of the tub, her back pressed against the tiled wall, straining her pelvis even further, opening her thighs even wider, holding Mitchell's head, moving it in a tight circle, sensing the approach of orgasm, the volume of air began drawn into her lungs, rapidly exhaled increasing, feeling the sharp sweetness begin, twisting her fingers in her hair, forcing his mouth even harder onto, and his tongue even deeper into, Mm. He true. <clears throat> he truly loved to have been aware of it, but unfortunately, the distance from Marsh's mouth, along with the running water, having covered the sound of the moan, but going with the urging of her hands, knowing herself from the times he'd done this before, knowing she was capable of a second orgasm within minutes, or was it seconds from the first time but truly loving the feel of Mitchell within her body, wanting him, oh yes, wanting him there. Stand up, baby, prompting him upward, taking hold of him, standing on tiptoes, guiding him into her vagina, where she was sure he was deeply implanted as the length of his penis and the upright angle of their bodies would allow. Oh God, not knowing if he'd thought or said the words, Oh God, feeling the lubricious, I don't know how to say this word, lubricated, lubricious, wonderfully warm tightness around him. Feeling the lubricious, wonderfully warm tightness that encompassed not just the length and breadth of his penis, but all of Mitchell, as though his entire physical and mental being was fully engulfed within the marvelous, sweet sheath of Marcia. Bringing her hands onto his buttocks again, again prodding her nail into the soft flesh, again forcing their bodies closer, closer, urging his pelvis to move in a tight circle in rhythm with hers. Mitchie, the sweetness beginning again. I love you. Moving with the rhythm of Marsha's rotation, holding her buttocks as she held his, their closely held genitalia swaying in concert within the tight circle. Mm. Once again, or possibly, the sweet pain that had never ended was now but one continuous orgasm. Mitchy, breathing her warm breath in her ear, Oh, Mitchy, Marcy brought an even higher plane of excitement, not because of where they were, but also due to Marcy's uncharacteristic show of passion, pushing deep, his motion changing, grinding their bodies ever closer, now changing her cir circular rhythm to his pumping rhythm, moving his pelvis only, push, retract, push, retract, push, nearing, nearing, his motion changing, faster, harder, forward, back, forward, back, his pelvis and penis jerking forward, jerking backward, now, standing perfectly still, actually feeling the penile contractions within her vagina, within her body. Her heart 
lurching, knowing where his semen now flowed. I love you. Their words mixing together with running water. I love you. Their mouths coming together tightly, each breathing their hard, ragged breath into the mouth of the other, until their fingers of their forehands relaxed, the twenty indentations of their two sets of buttocks turning from white to normal, their lips loosening, their heads moving back, their eyes opening, each looking into the half-opened eyes of the other until their breath slowed. Marsh's breast moved from Mitchell's chest. Mitchell's retracted penis slipped from Marsh's vagina, and the two of them stood without words, but yet together. Outwardly, the look on Marsh's face appearing serious, Mitchie just out of sight, inwardly smiling, her heart pounding. We didn't use a rubber. Yeah, I know. Standing back, looking at his wife, placing both hands onto her shoulders. But you know, sometimes people try for years without having a baby, and this is the first time we've ever done it without a rubber. So, nothing will happen. Marsha was not worried. She was not worried at all. And this was not the first time they'd done it without a rubber. The very first time they had had intercourse was at 3.56 a.m. on December 25th, 1955, Christmas morning, seven days after their second marriage. Their, in the eyes of God, not yet consummated marriage, when after waiting for Marsha's early excitement-induced period to end, when after three days of trying and failing due to Mitchell's mind-induced failure to maintain erection long enough for insertion, when finally, with the help of a bottle of Carter's indelible blue-black ink, they were finally able to consummate their marriage, and when they had intercourse, in their sleep. And they didn't use a rubber then, and nothing happened. Then. <clears throat> Okay, well, that was a lot, and that was by that was the shower is, and it's an excerpt from, uh, from Better or Worse, written by Mark Lichterman. Sorry that I insulted you so much, Mark Lichterman. It's probably about me and not you, guys. That was the show. <laughs> I hope you laughed. I hope you had fun. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you found something worthwhile of having in there. I enjoyed reading for you. Thank you so much for how, how strong I sound and how amazing I sound. Oh, thank you. I'll be back at it every single Friday. Every single Friday in December. Thank you, 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 thank you. We had a nice little two-hour show last time. Uh, if more people come out next week, I'll be happy to do a two-hour show. This is definitely uh, for the recorded audience and all that. Come out live. Come out live. You see what happens if you don't. You need to come out live. You need to give me more stuff to read. Please come out to these live shows. Make them more of an event. I'm coming. I'm going to bring it all the time. I have a good time no matter what. I knock it out no matter what these days. You can hear it. You can feel it. I know you can. And you want better smut. There's only one 
way to get it. Come out yourself. Guys, thank you again for everybody who did come out live. I appreciate you very much. Everybody who's been enjoying all the content and the gaming streams, uh, the podcast just rolling right along, I appreciate that. There will be a podcast episode uh, next week that is the 20th, and again, a live show on the 21st and the 28th. No podcast on the 27th, but we'll be back on the 3rd. Thank you, thank you, thank you again for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Got a little weird at the end. Lots of really sweet poetry. And then nothing weird there, and then a little weird at the end. There's always a little weirdness in one of these shows. It's got to happen. I don't know why. All right, guys. Thank you very much again for coming on out. Everything, everything, everything. I hope to see you very, very soon. Have a wonderful rest of your week and weekend ahead of you.